When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening, odds are you're a fan of the universe George Lucas created. I am too. I love Star Wars and have been desperate to tell my own Star Wars story. But I always wanted a story that was more focused on the struggles on the front lines and less about the machinations of the Senate. A boots-on-the-ground story about the millions of people desperate to survive the horrors of galactic war. That is what Mud 79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 25, The Deveronian. Solomon Kwai continues his publicity tour, even being the guest of honor at an Imperial Gala, where he meets an endless stream of dignitaries and officers. He even crosses paths with the Sheriff of Flaudine, Jesper Chorus, who advises him to be less brash with his words. Meanwhile, Captain Mbali and the fight team continues to grind their way through the rest of the 934th Legion. What was Jesper Chorus doing at that Imperial Gala? And what was he warning Solomon Kwai about? Will Solomon even get to enjoy the fights with his fellow mutters? And will there be an end to Captain Minnie's constant barrage of interviews and appearances? Let's find out. There were four massive hollow screens floating over the elevated ring. Hollow drones zipping everywhere, some of them for the holonet. Others, probably security drones, scanning for malcontents in the crowd. Eyes in the sky. Good afternoon, citizens of the Empire. I'm Gar Thorne, and welcome to day three of the greatest Terracossi tournament to ever grace the Sesta Nebula. As always, I'm joined by former Terracossi champion, Curlia's own Lyris Biblo. And Lyris, how do you see the fight shaping up today? Well, the Rosses have seen some shuffling with the substitution rules, and there's a vert from the second company that will be making his first appearance today. Private Carvoth Jabbar straight ahead, ground pounding, army infantry, and the size of him alone is what caught my eye. And then, up on the screen, there was a recruitment shot of the Verk, who ran the door at the brothel. The guy who beat the living shit out of us a year prior. He looked just as big and just as mean. Am I reading that correctly? 224 centimeters tall? I'm making the largest fighter here. You are. And he weighs over 150 kilos. With an incredible reach advantage, this guy will be the one to watch. They showed some footage of the Verk working a Dura Weave bag. 
just punishing it. At the end of the clip, they tipped the bag over, and it was full of concrete. Maybe it was just smoke and mirrors, but the crowd was eating it up for sure. And they got even louder when the first combatants made their way into the ring. We're about to get things going, but before we get there, let's take a moment to remember why we're all here. Of course, today's festivities are brought to you by not just the Imperial military, but by Emperor Palpatine himself. Indeed they are, Lyris. Remember, the galaxy is a dangerous place, and without the brave men and women of the Imperial Armed Forces, none of us would be safe. If you'd like to do your part, find your local recruitment station today for the Empire. Oh, you said it, Gar. I'd like to remind everyone I served a five-year term in the Armored Corps, and they were the best years of my life. Were it not for the training I received in the Corps, I would have never found success in the Terakashi raid. You won't believe the many doors service in the Empire can open. Absolutely! But let's get ringside with our very own boots on the ground, Chan Vermeer. The screens cut to some reporter by the ring as the fighters walked past. Dropping stats, picture-in-picture -picture replays of their previous fights and what to expect. I didn't know anyone in the ring, but Murray was giving me the lowdown. What he'd seen and then pointed out what they were doing. I was really just a sounding board for his inner monologue, but I took it all in as best I could. The fights moved forward. The first one involving anyone from the 20th was in the third round, and we lost. And then another one of ours lost. A knockout less than 20 seconds into the first round. But I knew we'd have a good showing when Husto's name was called to come down and warm up. Pay attention, kids. He shuffled past us with a smirk. He was gonna win. He just knew. He moved right down to the ring the way the LT paced ahead of us in the field. Confidence built on skill. The announcers made some noise when they saw his name. Now here's a fighter to watch, Sergeant Sudoku Husto, a medic from the 20th Company, grew up on the Mandalorian colony and served for the entirety of the Clone Wars, multiple battle honors, and his fights over the past few days. These are textbook wins, Gar. Well, I'm sure the viewers will be excited to watch. Husto took off his jacket and pants and loosened up in the pit beside the ring, shook the hands of his opponent as they walked past exchanged some laughter, too. He was totally relaxed as he stepped into the elevated ring. This was one of the cooler aspects of this stage in the tournament. You went out of bounds, you'd fall two meters to the pit floor. Another way of ensuring everyone stayed tight also meant that there were a lot of attempted throws along the edge. A two-meter fall with a messy landing would end the tournament for you. Husto rotated his arms and rolled his neck as the skip spoke to him in hushed tones. Husto's eyes were closed, but he was nodding, taking it in. Then he turned and the bell went. He had that hop, keeping his legs loose, blood pumping, just hop, 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 right into the center of the ring. Dancing. His opponent got close, and then wham! 
Justo fired a left hand that connected clean, like a jackhammer into his opponent's jaw. His whole body was stiff, and he fell to the side. The crowd was going nuts. They'd never seen anything like it. Look at that, a perfect left hand. Let's see that again. Get me the footage, that's hard to believe. The footage started playing again, and it only made things even funnier. Let's get another angle. Yeah, yeah, see? There it is. He shakes the right, flinches his entire right side. See the strain on his pec? I've been in the ring, that's a tell. He sells that right hand, and then the left just slips right under, clean. Incredible strike, just incredibly stiff hands on this guy. Husto was all smiles in the ring, raised his hands, kept hopping. The skip was in there too, giving him a big hug for moving over and checking in on the other fighter. Husto came over too, but not before taking in the applause for a few seconds. Who could blame him? His opponent was getting up now, completely stunned, confused. In the field, you'd think it was shell shock. I'd seen that look on the ill-prepared after an artillery strike. But they got up, and the crowd cheered them off. I could only imagine what their platoon buddies were going to say. Time to go. Murray was heading down to warm up in the pit. He was grateful that he wasn't going to have to follow up Justo's performance. That one probably got him a bye to the fifth day, provided he won his next two fights. The pair crossed on the stairs, Justo wrapping his arms around Murray, giving him a last-minute pep talk. Must have been nice. Everyone was staring at Justo, the cameras following him. And now that charge was passed on to Murray. Smart morale play from the medic. Murray waited for the next fight to finish before taking his place in the corner. He was up against a Deveronian, a male, horns and all. I'd seen what Hefspar could do, and this guy was the same size. Thicker, maybe, but not by much. The bell rang, and they went at it. Murray was holding his own, exchanging, blocking, avoiding takedowns. And he wasn't just avoiding them, either. Every time that Deveronian tried to bring him down, Murray would let loose with knees and elbows, clean short strikes. The second round was more of the same. You could see Murray's opponent slowing down, while my Atoan comms trooper was still springtime fresh. Those Atoan circulatory systems, fantastic. Then, with a minute left in the third, Murray pounced, wrapped the guy's legs up, brought him down, had him in a vicious hold. Looked like the Deveronian's leg was about to snap. Then he tapped. Murray had the win. He sprang up, half sprinted around the ring. It was a fantastic day. I was with my people. Hefspar was delivering some highlight reel victories, finishing two fights by throwing her opponent out of the ring. That's it. 
same move she used on that Poda ape out in the Green Death. Husto finished the day before anyone else, and none of his fights went past the second round. Only one even got out of the first. Zeltron. She was thick, squat, kept trying to bring the fight to the ground, but Husto wasn't having it. He'd wave at her to stand up. He knew his strengths and wasn't going to grapple. In the second round, I think he lost his cool a bit and KO'd her with a knee drive. The guy was just so fast in there. It was wild to see. I was next to Murray when he headed down for his final fight of the day. Something was wrong with his left shoulder. Or maybe he was just playing it up to fake out his opponent. Yeah, that's my guy. You saw a lot of stuff like that. People did anything to get the advantage. There were a lot of credits on the line here. He was up against a tall, lanky Miri Allen. Guy had reach. Red on the feed, he was a mortarman from the 33rd Company. Had a really dark green complexion, an expression carved out of ice. The entire first round, I didn't even see him open his mouth. He had the edge with strikes, too. His reach meant he kept getting his hand in Murray's face. Those little jabs weren't doing much damage. Murray had a skull like a bag of Duracree. But when that hand was in his face, he couldn't see the snapping leg kicks. Again and again, Murray would get the worst of it. And sometimes the Miri Allen would move in close with a big body blow. Murray would manage to retaliate with a few heavy strikes when it happened, but his opponent knew what he was doing. Instead of tiring Murray, which would be all but impossible given his physiology, he was just breaking his body physically. When the third round started, Murray wasn't moving clean at all. He was favoring his right leg. What are you thinking? His left had been brutalized. I think he sensed this was it, too. He floated for the first 30 seconds, then tried to close the gap. Managed to succeed. He was a lot stronger, but he took a few clean headshots and was bleeding from a cut over his right eye. And his nose was steady dripping. But for the next two minutes, Murray just unloaded. Shot after shot, just beating that Miri Allen senseless. And the crowd loved it. They got the sense that at this point, Murray was just fighting to survive. And I don't want you thinking that Mortarman had thrown in the towel either. He was still doing what he could, and his strikes were snappy and effective, but the onslaught was there, and it wasn't going to stop. The bell rang, both of them still going. What a finish. It wasn't enough, though. Murray had lost the first two rounds, and even with his win in the third, the fight was still awarded to the Miri Allen. The two fighters shook hands, embraced in the ring, but with the hollow cameras close on Murray's face, 
I could see how let down the guy was. Really felt for him in there. Oh, this guy sucks. He was escorted down the rear service row to our speeder. I watched him limp past the stands with a medic. I decided I should follow. Sure enough, he was in the medical tent with a few droids examining his leg. All those kicks from the Murray Allen had done their job. Murray had multiple fractures in his tibia and fibula. The guy was fighting on a broken leg. He walked all the way here from the ring on a broken leg. I should have closed in on him sooner, man. I let him use his reach. He took a deep breath and grimaced as one of the medical droids injected some sealant directly into his tibia. They gave you pain meds, but there was a definite awareness when those needles penetrated bone. Day three wrapped about an hour later. I didn't even watch the rest of the fights. I hung out in the back with Murray, let him talk. Had a few sticks with him. Now that he wasn't in the running anymore, I figured it'd be okay. The stands were emptying. Thousands of people milling their way off the parade square. Recruits moving in with cleaning duty, picking up the garbage, and making ready to tear down the stands. They'd be at it all night. Help prepare them for a life in the field. When you'd be popping stims on the regular to build defensive works and preparing for an enemy assault, they'd learn the fight team started for the gathered speeders. Most companies didn't even have anyone going into day four. Only 13 fighters were left at this point. There was a sense of relief on a lot of teams. Disappointment, but they were free. From here on in, if your team was out, you were essentially on leave. But for those companies who still had contenders, it was very much about solidarity staying the course, rallying together, supporting your fellow team members. And the 20th had two fighters in the mix, Husto and Hefspar. No one was surprised. And we were sitting on the speeder, headed back to the barracks when the official results came down. I don't think this will surprise anyone, but it's official. Sergeant Husto clocked the fastest victory of the day and has earned a pass to the semifinal. He's got the day off tomorrow. We let up a cheer and then went back to talking strategy. While they all discussed the ins and outs of things I didn't understand, I hopped on the hollow feed and watched some of the highlights. I was especially keen to see what that Verk was capable of. And I don't know what I was expecting, but the guy was just mutilating opponents in there. He was bigger and stronger than everyone he teed off with. These massive pile-driving fists rarely used his legs for anything but defense. Two times opponents tried to bring him down, but he was just too strong. I figured he would have had the second fastest win of the day, but none of his fights ended before the second round. He was treating them like warm-ups. 
I actually wondered what happened for him to end up in uniform in the first place. I now know that his boss, the Twilik Madam, let her security get a bit too heavy-handed with the relative of someone important to the Empire. She may have had a lot of stacked favors, but the press gang came at her directly and demanded a body to fill the ranks. That was the thing about dealing with the Empire. You started giving people the impression you could sit at the table with them, make demands, you got burnt. No one gave the Empire orders. That's not to say that Brothel didn't get a lot more leeway than anyone else. Cause yeah, that woman had dirt on everyone. So she had wiggle room to conduct business as needed. But there were always limits. I wagered the Verk didn't mind. He was close to becoming a company hero. He may have been a bouncer before, but if he kept going the way he was, there'd be posters of him all over the Seston Nebula. When we got back to the barracks building, the whole team had watched the highlights, and over dinner, the skip was discussing how we should proceed. I've seen the rest of the fighters, taking a look at their stats, and there are only two fighters that worry me. Private Jabbar from the second company. The Verk, in case you forgot his name. And Sergeant Martok from the 41st. Martok was a half-Twilic, half-human squad sergeant who was a pro fighter before signing on the line. Had an impressive record, but never managed to win any championships. Depending on the schedule, I think it might be wise for one of us to sacrifice themselves to ensure neither of those two are in a position to advance into the final. All that matters is that the 20th brings home the title. I don't care if it's me or Houston. Well, obviously, but who's to say how the schedule will shake out? Those two could eliminate each other and we can't discount the others. That one guy from the 13th, I watched all his fights on the net. He's no less of a threat than the other two. We need to be tactical, yes, but we need to wait and see what happens first. The table was alive with theories. None of them really heated, just loud. We all wanted that win. All of us were hungry. Blood was in the water. We were close. The morning came quickly too. The skip had everyone, including me, do a team workout. I could hold my own in the fitness aspect of things, but I was so sloppy with my hands compared to these guys. And the kicks just gassed me. It was close to yakking. There's an interesting thing that starts to happen with your body when you're training it hard enough. You will start to equate certain exercises as rest. Yeah, like you're training, but since that certain exercises can still feel restful. When I was on the farm, work was work. But at that point, when I was knee deep in gray, I could practically sleep while I was walking. I don't even know if that's a good thing, but at my age now, I'd kill to be able to do that. 
The fights weren't starting until the evening, so we had time to eat and relax. Hefspar and Husto were stretching, keeping loose, working out joint problems. Both seemed pretty nimble. I thought Hefspar was injured on the first day, but that was all just a ruse, playing head games with the competition. Then the schedule came in. Hefspar would be fighting twice, and her first fight was that guy from the 13th Husto was talking about. He was half human, but big. Most of the fighters left were pretty massive. Husto was the smallest fighter left by a dozen kilos easy. He's gonna try and dazzle you in big kicks, snapping punches, all offense. But he's a glass hammer. The two sergeants were watching the hollow feed. Yeah, look here. I just need to get him thinking. I'm only going to slip past him his right. And if I do it enough, can break left, he'll be open. Think I should strike or bring him to the ground? The ground should play better for you. Yeah. Keep my weight on him. Throw some elbows. The thought of her digging in with an elbow? Just awful. She'd crack my skull easy. We arrived at the venue two hours before the show was due to start. What a spectacle it was. The main grandstand from the swoop bike race had been totally closed off on both ends. It formed an improvised arena, seating for over 100,000 spectators. The surrounding race grounds, which housed Pit Row, were now a massive collection of party plazas, tents serving booze of every style imaginable, that classic smell of burning gem flowers, bith dust flowing like water. The merchants were making bank, no doubt. Credits flying everywhere, so many different species, languages, it was great. And I wasn't even in the mix. I was just driving past. Couldn't imagine what it was like in there. I just wanted to hop off and enjoy the party. But not today. Skip wanted everyone in the stands. The 20th would show face. Mbali wanted us to be the mean, lean killers the Empire touted us as. One unit. So, that's what would happen. The transport rolled up to a service entrance, and there were cadets lined up to escort us to our seats. The only real difference was, at this point, there was a separate area beneath the stands for all those fighters who were left, a designated warm-up area. They'd be able to stretch out, stay loose, unlike the previous days where they were stuck in the stands until being called down. This stage of the tournament was meant to look more like a traditional professional tourney. We all gave a team handshake and embrace to Hefspar, and she and the skip went into the tunnel. Fighters and coaches, everyone else was in the stands. There were a few stares back and forth with the other companies and fighters, but all of us, everyone, 
was very aware that this was a propaganda piece and no one was to get out of line. The Commodore was there in the building and it wasn't unheard of for people to suddenly just disappear if they made a scene at an event like this. We all watched him pop the captain of the crossfire. So one of us? Some nobody grunt? Yeah, not even a blink. There were actually a lot of handshakes and jokes between the ranks. Everyone knew people in other units. We'd all been deployed together when we first landed, so for some of us, this was like a reunion. Hey, Trooper, are you drinking? There were even servers bringing us drinks. Coffee, juices, water, no alcohol. You didn't feed booze to a bunch of mutters like us in a place like this. This was no different than being on duty. The seats were filling up all over. So many faces. It was hard not to be impressed by the scale of what the Empire did. All of these people now had access to schools, medicine, there were manufacturing, agricultural jobs, and a constant need for trained soldiers. Pilots, mechanics, you name it. For the working class people of Seston Four, we really were bringing up the standard of living. It had some rough spots, but you could feel things progressing well beyond where they were. And it was great to be part of that change for a time. The lights dimmed and the announcers came in queuing up the night's entertainment. Prior to the actual fights, there'd be some amateur clubs hosting a few matches. Teenagers, kids as young as 12, all that classic community tie-in stuff. In between those, they even played some recruitment spots. They featured some local troopers, and there was even one with me in it. Look at you, what an inspiration. They got posters? Think I can put one up in my bunk? Sure thing, Murray, sure. You knew the real show had started when each fighter coming into the ring was profiled on the screens above. Each projection up high, three times the size of the ring proper. It was easy to lose yourself in the size of the setup here. The fighters would have been tiny if you were in the rear stands. Fortunately, we had a great spot, and it got even better when the ring elevated. Back up two meters in the air, regulation height. Once again, anyone stepping out of bounds would pay for it. The opening bouts were okay. Everyone was coming in hot to start, and once they realized it'd be a slog, they shifted gears. The first one wrapping up near the end of round two. And the second going to decision. What are you thinking? Hefspar was slated for the third fight. And we saw her face emblazoned on the hollow screen. Our next fighter joined the Republic Army as a teenager and saw action in multiple theaters during the Clone Wars. She also served with the Scout Corps before transferring to the Imperial Army. She's now a squad sergeant in the 79th platoon, serving with the 20th company in the Western Ranges. 
standing 204 centimeters and weighing 112 kilos. Fire it up for Sergeant Ribbon Hespar. The crowd was eating this stuff up. It really was a spectacle, so who could blame them? Everything was running slick. Lights, sound, and the way they'd converted the grandstand so quickly was incredible. As young as I was, it was very easy to be filled with a sense of pride, especially since one of my own cadre was in the ring. Hefspar walked up the steps and stretched, staying loose dancing around the ring. Let's do this! Let's go! The announcer came on the PA again, talking up her opponent. I didn't care. I was keeping an eye on Husto. I wanted to read him. Sort of like my first flyout. If he was cool, I was too. The bell rang and both of the fighters came out of their corners. Hefspar was countering well, just eating his shots and returning when he was open. She'd slip past his defenses time and time again, very similar to what happened to Murray the previous day. Just wearing down her opponent a little bit at a time. The way she moved in there was different than she'd been before. More fluid, less plodding. She really did react and change. Something she imparted on us in the field. Fight to the terrain, not to the training. The second round was halfway done, and it was hard to see if she was ahead on points, but he threw a front kick and she guided it to the side and went in for the takedown. She ate an elbow in the process, and I wasn't sure if she was conscious when they hit the mat, but she recovered and drove down on him with one of her own. He tried blocking it, but she had all the momentum, and the sergeant didn't let up either, digging a low knee into the guy's side, then another elbow, and another. A hammer fist to his face, another knee, just pummeling him until he dropped his guard and went limp. The ref flew in to break them up, and she stood up with a fist in the air. One more win, she was in the final round. After her fight wrapped, we finally caught a glimpse of the giant Burke from the second company. The bouncer, the one who tuned us at the brothel. He was standing near the fighter's entrance, taking in the spectacle. And seeing Hefspar walk past him only reminded us of how huge he was. He dwarfed her both height and width. She didn't even look at him as she walked past. Strictly business. Had a towel hanging over her head. Shaking her arms. Exact same way as she walked and coming in. Her opponent was helped back by his trainer. I don't even think he was aware what was happening. The sergeant really gave him a licking in there. Then we saw the bouncer up on the screen looked even meaner. Private Karvoth Jabbar came into the ring at a pace. It was like he expected the title, a pure confidence earned from working over shady clients in dark alleys. 
easy to see why he assumed the credits were already in hand. And of course, he wiped the mat with his opponent before the first round was finished. When there were only six fighters left, the announcers came on the screen again, explaining the rules of the tournament once more, laying out how the next three fights would work. The winner of each of these had a spot in the final. They were three fights away from being crowned champion. Three fights, that's nothing. It's what we call in the bag. I wouldn't go that far, Lyris. Not with this crew. Cold killers, the lot of them. The pride of the Empire. That remark got a rousing applause from the stands. I am assuming you already know who Hefspar matched with. The Verk. I have my theories about this. They wanted to ensure that there were humans in the final. The Empire was still, at its core, very human-centric. And that became more evident the longer the flag was flying. Certain sections of the galaxy were worse than others. We didn't feel that same weight out in the backwaters of the Sestin system, but whenever the brass or press corps was involved, you'd always have that pro-human skew to everything. Even on a planet where Twi'lek were undoubtedly the dominant species. At least Hefspar would be in the final fight of the night, closing the show. It's fitting she's the main event, given she's the best fighter on the roster. Murray was staying positive, and I asked what he was expecting during her fight. He's just going to use his reach, keep her away. Especially after the way she mauled that guy in her first fight. He gets him close, she'll punish him. And everyone wants to finish as clean as possible, given the title gets decided tomorrow. The first of the final three fights was won by that half-Twillick sergeant from the 41st, Martok, and ended with a very lucky punch that connected clean on his opponent's ribcage. You could tell he did damage without even seeing the replay. His opponent just dropped, started writhing. To his credit, Martok didn't go in for the kill. He knew it was done and just backed away. Next up, there was a match between two humans. Both of them were monsters, just massive hulks. Moved slow, a lot less dynamic than the previous fight. A very plodding back and forth with big punches and kicks. The third round was a bit more lively, each of them going for the knockout blow. They were pounded raw. And by the end, the winner was a corporal from the 18th named Kelvin March. Let's go, 18. Then came the fight we were waiting for. And based on the way the crowd lit up, everyone was in the same headspace. Hefspar and the Verk. He came out first, clearly the crowd favorite. No doubt he had a lot of friends in here. He was from Flume Bay, after all. Didn't acknowledge them, though. Just stalked in, light on his feet, no drag. Moved back and forth in the ring, stretching, looking back at the fighter's entrance, waiting for the sergeant. 
And there she was. So much lighter than him. Hopping, one foot to the other. A near dance carried on the cheers of the crowd. She was going in the underdog, and everyone loves to cheer for the little guy. Come on! Even when they're over two meters tall. They met in the ring, shook hands, and returned to their corners until the bell rang. The skip was looking directly into Hefspar's eyes, speaking firmly, no clue what was being said. The referee told the coaches to step down. That was it. The bell sounded, and the blood was let loose. Hefspar came barreling out of the corner. She hadn't done that yet. I only know because Murray was quite vocal about it. What is she doing? That's not how Hefspar fights. But the crowd didn't notice. This is what everyone came to see. An all-out brawl. And the 79th came through. We always The Verk wasn't ready. He squared up for hollow chess, and she was playing Lemmy. She was going to keep this fight close, take his reach out of the equation. She was in tight, delivering an incredible combination. Weaving past his defenses, taking him completely off balance. I don't think he was used to anyone bringing the fight to him, and it was really throwing him for a loop. At first, anyways. He got his bearings near the end of the first minute and returned some blows. One of which was a clean right cross to the sergeant's nose that sent her back a few steps. Blood was already flowing. But when he tried it again, she locked up his arm and brought him to the ground. They were a ball flying fists and feet. Each pounding on the other, looking to get their opponent into a submission hole. The round ended and the crowd was losing its mind. There was no fight coming close to this one. Hefspar was dripping blood on her way back to the corner, but there was no sense of alarm on her face. This was her plan. The Verk, however, looked frustrated, jerking movements, his trainer yelling at him and him returning the favor. It really was the fight we all wanted. The second round started similar to the first. Hefspar flying out across the ring. But this time, she threw herself into the Verk with a full tackle. And the pair of them went over the edge. They fell the two meters with Hefspar landing on his chest hard. Then they kept at it, fighting outside the ring, on the ground. And the crowd was eating this up. We didn't even know if this was within the rules. But the ref came in, broke them up, pulled them apart, sent each fighter back to their corner. Hefspar was walking it off like nothing, but that Burke was hurt. Back, hips, something. He wasn't moving right. The judges declared that no points would be awarded since they both went over the side and issued a warning not to do anything like that again or risk being disqualified. I don't think the sergeant cared. She didn't show it anyways. And when the bell rang again, 
For the second start of round two, she held back and watched the vert get close. This was her usual opening. The bouncer was more cautious now, though. Deliberate steps, choosing his path, then unloading, but Hefspar saw it coming, deking past two thunderous haymakers. But he stunned her with a blind uppercut when she was trying to work his body with some quick hooks. She got caught clean, and he tagged her again before she managed to get her hands back up. Then she cut the ring off, stepping under and beside him, going for a takedown, but he was too strong, stayed up, and using the opening she gave him to drive his elbow into the side of her head, which set something off. The sergeant lost all her poise. She came alive with a flurry of messy punches on his body. She was hitting too, not all of them clean, but she was punching herself tired and doing damage in the process, constantly working his body right around the bottom of his ribcage. She took some shots too, of course, but he had the worst of it. And when the bell rang, there were two exhausted fighters in the ring. Hefspar wasn't looking too good in the corner. When the hollow zoomed in on her, you could tell she didn't really know what was happening anymore. That stunned look where you can only comprehend the most basic of orders. Saw it in the field after heavy bombardments. The brain can only take so much. But the bell rang and she got up. No quit. Both fighters hobbled to the center, trying to impart that they were still in their prime. Hefspar got light on her feet, feeding off the crowd. And again, she let the burk open, his jab coming clean and quick. She stepped outside and came up with a knee to the body, and stayed on his body, delivering one blow after another. It was definitely slowing him down, but he managed to get a hold of her hair went down. That's when it was all over. He wrapped her up and threw her in an arm bar. Her arm was bending farther and farther. Then she tapped. The crowd was going wild. Their local had won. They got what they wanted. The Verk wasn't too quick to get up, though. Neither of them were. Hefspar's arm was fractured. A second more, and it would have broken clean. But her opponent could barely stand upright. He was in a bad way. Still, to his credit, when they both got to their feet, he held up her arm, motioned for the crowd to cheer for her. Class move. Now that's what the people of Sloan Bay wanted to see. Amazing performance by both fighters tonight. It certainly was, Laris. Just imagine what's in store for tomorrow. There's still three more fights left to determine who's crowned Legion champion. Let's go 15! The fighter teams were escorted out one at a time, each of us hopping on our transport back to barracks. We had to walk past all the celebrating crowds again, 
which were far more boisterous and intoxicated than before. The smell of gem flower was everywhere. And then you catch those whiffs of food being prepared at the open stalls, just imploring you to cut loose. But we climbed onto the speeders like cargo and headed back to our cots in sobriety. The lot of us surprised to see Hefspar already waiting for us on board. She was with the skip and had a splint on her right arm, while her left was just in a sling and she had a steady back to drip on IV propped up beside her, eyes just about swollen shut. Husto sat down beside her with a big smile on his face, stifling a chuckle. You're welcome. I know, I know. You did amazing. If he can get his arms over his head tomorrow, I'll be impressed. I saw. You were surgical out there. I loved it. These two had made plans. Hefspar wasn't even fighting to win. She was ensuring that the biggest threat was eliminated. They studied the Virk's anatomy, and they knew where his muscle insertion points were, how his physiology would react. And she was hitting those key parts along his torso so that it would limit his mobility the following day. She had targeted him for assassination. Now we just had to wait and see if it worked. It wasn't very late when we got back, so the skip gave all of us a light workout. Just something to keep everyone busy. Fly the flag, show everyone the 20th company was here to win. A 10-click run down to the airfield and back, followed by some calisthenics. The sky was dark, with the nebula out in force by the time we wrapped. Then we went back inside, had some fruit and water, showered and hit the rack. There was no alarm the next morning, no set wake up. And given the spectacle at the grandstands wasn't due to start until the evening, there was no need. Captain Mbali let everyone get some sleep. How will Husto fare on the final day of the tournament? What's in store for Kwai at his medal ceremony? And what's been happening back at the hotel while the 20th Company's fighters have been absent? That's next time on Episode 26, A Legionary Champion. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, Make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. I'll see you next week. 
for more Mud 79.